even though most of us are not racing our own bicycles right now, we're all still focused on our overall health and well-being, and that's where today's sponsor, MitoQ, comes in. Like everything else in our bodies, our mitochondria become less efficient as we age. From the age of 30 on, levels of CoQ10 in the mitochondria can decline by as much as 10% with each passing decade. This means that our body's natural resilience also declines, and that can impact our training, recovery, immunity, digestion, sleep, stress, hormones, and even brain power. This is why MitoQ is becoming increasingly popular with endurance athletes. It helps the body recover faster after intense training periods. Some athletes have even noted improved VO2 max, heart rate variability, and lactate threshold. So when you combine that with not needing as long to recover and being able to maintain more intense training cycles, you can see why MitoQ could result in increased performance gains. To learn more about MitoQ's unique formula, to read some independent clinical trials and some athlete testimonials, go to www.mitoq.com forward slash power up cycling. That's M I T O Q.com forward slash power up cycling. Thanks to MitoQ for sponsoring this week's episode. Okay. Let's get on to the podcast. Welcome back to the Velo News Podcast. Fred Dreyer coming to you on a busy Tuesday here at the Velo News offices. I'm actually in the office today. Got my face mask on, sequestered away in an office so that I am not coming into contact with anyone. There's not really anybody here, though. Um, I don't know about you, but it, it does kind of help to go uh, out of the home office every now and again. Um that's a whole other story, though. Got a great episode uh, coming up today. We have James start on the ground at the Giro d'Italia. We caught up with James on Monday following the big battle on Mount Etna. James takes us inside the race, what the battle was like, what he saw. Also, what it's like to be media at this year, this Giro compared to the Tour de France, what COVID-19 safety protocols are like sort of the general mood and overall feeling of the Peloton and the riders um, doing a Giro in October. I, I think that, you know, so far the weather has been okay. I think we're all kind of crossing our fingers that, uh, you know, the Giro is able to go up high in the Alps. I mean, there's a Stelvio stage. We all see these photos of the Stelvio covered in snow. There's the potential for snow, bad weather as the race goes along. So uh, James has been there talking with a lot of people. Uh, we catch up with James. We also have a uh, catch up with Brent Bookwalter, who is in the Giro. And I just got off the line with Brent right now. He was on a ferry boat from Sicily to mainland Italy. And um, Brent's having kind of a rough Giro. He crashed on stage two and is dealing with some injuries in his back. Um, But Brent has some great insight on what it's like to be there, what the mood is like in the Peloton, what riders are talking about. And also, it, it just sounds like the Giro's uh, COVID-19 safety protocols leave uh, a lot to be desired. It sounds like it's not that great. Uh, and Brent gives us some insight on what it's like to be a writer uh, at this year's Giro. Uh, before we get to that, I mean, you all know it. It's This is such a busy period of racing right now. We came out of the Tour de France and boom, right back into it. Bink Bank tour going on alongside Liège, Bastogne, Liège, men's and women's with the Giro starting up, going right into cobbled classics, uh, and then Giro and the Welta overlapping uh, the same weekend as Paris-Roubaix. We're covering it all 
the best we can on VeloNews.com. You know, covering pro cycling is always a bit like drinking out of a fire hose because there's so much going on. And right now, oh my gosh, you know, the other day it was like Bink Bank Tour going on, Giro, Mountain Bike World Cup uh, going on, you know, men's and women's. It's just sort of like you can't have enough browsers open on your computer screen to watch all the action. Um, but please, you know, we're come to VeloNews.com. We're, we're getting good stories out of this. I think something that came out of this past weekend was um, Lizzie Dynan winning Liege Bastogne Liege. And it really seeming like, you know, Trek Segafredo has nailed the teamwork and the team aspect um, this year in women's cycling. It's not just a story of, you know, someone being so much stronger than everyone else that they're riding away from the field. You know, Lizzie Dynan's win, Elisa Longo-Borghini winning some stages, winning stage of the Giro. These are these team victories. And Betsy Welch dug into that with a great story on VelNews.com right now about Trek Segafredo's win. Um, if you have a chance... Uh, you know, fire up the uh, NBC Sports Gold and rewatch that race. That's a really thrilling, phenomenal race. I feel like that's going to be the name of the game for keeping up on cycling action is like reading about it and then going back and watching the replays. So I would say watch that. I would, you know, if you have time and if you can track it down on uh, GCN's app, that final stage of Bink Bank Tour was pretty interesting. You know, the often overlooked Bink Bank Tour produced pretty thrilling final day with Matthew Vanderpool going on a 50 kilometer breakaway, holding off the group to win the overall. Um, and then like getting in a bus and driving down to Liege the next day to start Liege, best in Liege. Um, that's a pretty noteworthy performance. And then, you know, I got to talk about Liege. Um, it finished with this four man breakaway coming to the line and Julian Alaphilippe um, celebrating too early and Primoz Roglic pipping him for the win. Um, I've actually done that. I did that in a collegiate C race one time, way back when I broke away from the field and I was coming into the finish line and decided to coast across the finish line and like raise my arms up and point to no one in particular in the parking lot. And some guy who had been chasing me for like 15 miles caught up and passed me just as I was crossing the line. I felt pretty dumb. Um, you know, I, I think we've all seen the photos of like Eric Zoppel doing that. Uh, Julian Alphilippe's photo, it's going to, I think it's going to become the new um, image of raising your hands too soon because he's wearing the rainbow jersey and it's just, it's just kind of a perfect image. Um, I saw some online chatter afterwards about like, hey, we should cut Alaphilippe some slack. You know, he's, he's this great champion and everything like that. And yeah, I mean, I guess of course we can. I don't, I don't know of anyone who's going to turn in their like Julian Alaphilippe fan club card just because he muffed that sprint and was relegated and um, you know celebrated too early. I think we all still like Julian Alaphilippe. I can only speak for myself. I still think that guy is a thrilling racer and love to follow him and hope he wins many big races in the future. But oh, one of those moments, those agony of defeat moments, where yeah, you know, being that rider who is very entertaining and explosive and so full of panache. It looks great most of the time, but when it doesn't work out, oh, it looks silly. And that's unfortunately what happened to Julie Fanel Philippe. Um, anyway, let's get to it. Let's get to James Start first, and then we'll hear from Brent Bookwalter. But as always, thanks for tuning into the Velnews podcast and coming to velnews.com to read about all the bike racing going on right now. Let's hear from James Start. James, um, set the scene for us. Where are you and how has your Giro experience been through three stages? 
Well, where I hi Fred and hey everybody. Where I'm at exactly, I'm not sure. I know I'm outside of Catania and I know I'm at the foot of uh, of Mount Etna. Um, and I'm not too far from the seaside uh, because when you're at the foot of Mount Etna, you're well, you're very close to the sea because it kind of runs into it. Um, but other than that, I don't know. It's uh, it's uh, one of those inflated. Uh, what would you say? One of those Italian hotels with, I would say, an inflated star system for sure. But it doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Squared. Um, it doesn't really matter. You know, I'm at the Giro d'Italia. Um, I could be sitting in Paris in the rain in like increasing lockdown. You know, it could be worse. Um, and I just, I'm a huge fan of Sicily. I love Sicily. Like, as you know, as soon as I saw the Grand Partenza was in Sicily, I was like, I want to do that. And I couldn't be happier to be here right now. So, so it's just pretty good. And I had a great day on, on Etna standing in a lava field. <laughs> it's not every day you get to do that. You know, James, before we get to the action and what's going on in the GC picture and Caicedo's thrilling win, I really want to ask you about what it is actually like to be at the Giro. You just came from the Tour de France where, you know, there was full COVID lockdown in effect as a member of the media. Access to the riders was pretty limited. There were places you could go, most places you could not go. And, you know, we saw stages where Fans were still showing up in droves. Um, what's it been like to be at the Giro? And what are the biggest differences that you're noticing between the Giro and the Tour? Well, um, to start off with, it's great. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's just definitely more mellow. You know, it, it doesn't have as generate as many people. There's not as many follow vehicles. It's much easier to get in and out, even though this year's Tour, you know, was comparatively easy. Uh, there is not as much uh, high security, um, you know, with your your accreditation badge is almost enough to get you where you need to get. And there's plenty of places you can't go to, but to get to what you where you're allowed to go, um, you know, you might have to do a little temperature test on the forehead, um, but that's about it. It's not like massive security checks and and this sort of stuff like you get at the, at, at the tour. And then. Um, you know, I've, I've done days, a day here, a day there at the Giro, but I've never spent, you know, a week or, or two weeks at the Giro. And um, I really wanted to, to have the time this year to do that. And uh, um, what's, you know, and, and with, with the dates here this year, it just made sense for me. And uh, I was really happy because it confirms what, what I, so many things I, I, I thought about it and I've heard about it. It's just, you know, it's a splendid race, uh, well-organized, just sizzling in beauty. Uh, you really get a sense that you're in the heart of Italy. The Italian fans are really passionate and positive. Um, you can tell that the riders like being here, even though the races are grueling, they like it. And, um, you know, we go through these just amazing landscapes and beautiful villages, and you often start right in the heart of a village or finish in the heart of one, which is not always the case at the tour. And it's pretty, it's just great. And, you know, I mean, and then the start in Sicily, I mean, I can't say enough about it, you know. The first time trial at the Montreal is this old Norman uh, cathedral, a monastery, and just splendid beauty, a UNESCO site. Stage two to the Valley of the Temples, the, the greatest uh, Greek temples known to to, 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 to to the world outside of Greece, uh, I think. I think. Uh, another, I think, and that would also be a UNESCO uh, a Heritage Foundation site. And then today up Mount Etna, and, you know, there's few mountains that are as distinctive as this one. So it's just, you know, bam, 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 one day after another, something really spectacular uh, to see. What's your sense 
of the mood of the riders. You know, so much of the storyline around this year's Tour de France was the nervousness, the heightened security, the heightened measures for COVID-19, and the fact that everyone was in these bubbles, very, you know, hyper aware of their health and just trying to keep COVID-19 from, you know, getting into the race. And, you know, from talking to you and Andy, it sounded like it created a real sense of nervousness and sort of high kind of red alert around the Tour de France. Now, we always hear that the Giro tends to be a little bit more laid back. But, you know, in your conversations with maybe not the riders, but, you know, people around the race and, you know, team officials, does it feel like there's that same level of just, you know, intensity and nerves? Uh, no, I mean, it's definitely more laid back. And I don't, you know, part of it is just not quite as big. Secondly, uh, I think, you know, perhaps, you know, we uh, honed our chops at the tour. Um, I think people know what to do now. The bubbles, uh, we've now, you know, we've had many races now where we're functioning with these sort of bubbles of sanitary measures and stuff. People know what to do and we're kind of not really stressing about it we just do it you know we know where we can go we don't get tense if you can't go somewhere you just have to accept it and and uh we you know everybody tries to uh to do as, as best as possible but it, it were it's definitely um more relaxed you know two real buzzworthy stories on the eve of the Giro starting the first obviously is a story that we've been following for a while which is peter sagan's uh participation in the Giro, and the second was ef pro cycling rolling out these bizarre kits in a uh partnership with palace skateboards that were very unorthodox and loud and just dominated uh, the Twitter conversation for a couple of days. Before we get to the kits, let's talk about Sagan. What has been his reception? What are the fans thinking of him being there? Is he the global celebrity that we expect him to be at this first Giro d'Italia for him? Yeah, yeah, Peter definitely is. I mean, he they call him the superstar of the Peloton. You know, he is. And I, you know, he almost won a stage yesterday. Uh, I'd be surprised if he doesn't come up with a stage somewhere here. Um, but, you know, it doesn't really matter. Peter Sagan is Peter Sagan. He has nothing more to prove. He's one of the great champions. And he will win other races. And he'll probably win some great ones because at this point in his career, it's really only the biggest races that motivate him. Um, and he said that to, to, to me at, at a press conference uh, in January in Argentina. Uh, so, yeah, you know, he's... He's not the guy who likes to go out and train his, his tail off, but he will do it if the if the uh, if he's motivated enough. And what motivates him are big races, and I think the Giro is one of those because he hasn't been here before. So I know he wants to do well, and he likes to win. Uh, so I, you know, I, I think he's going to make his mark on this race in some way, shape, or form. But other than that, yes, uh, Peter's Peter. I mean, he, there's an aura about him, and 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 he, he gives so much to the sport. He's so great with the fans. So mellow, um, and he's just you know he's 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 a champion. He's he's popular wherever he goes, and that's very clear here. What about the EF thing? You know, this was rolled out on Friday. It was the eve of the Giro start. They had the big team presentation, and EF shows up in these crazy looking kits. They're purple. They're kind of patchwork. They have the big Palace Skateboards logo on them. Um, they ended up generating a four thousand dollar fine from the UCI because apparently EF did not. Um, swing the design by the UCI beforehand. It just sort of showed up with this thing. You know, it was a big conversation point online, but what was it like at the actual Jiro? Is that something people are actually talking about or is this more of a uh, social media phenomenon? Well, they, um, you know, the, the way that they roll it out was kind of 
cryptic. Uh, first, I think uh, we saw a picture on uh, Jonathan Vauder's Twitter. Um, it took a while for LSL to catch up. I quite like the jerseys. I think that uh, the uh, Mapai jersey has finally met its match. And I didn't know that that could happen, but I think it has. And um, I think, you know, I think I'm a little too old to wear one myself, but uh, uh, I, I like them. I, I think they're, they're fun. I like the spirit they bring. I like the whole skateboard spirit coming into to, to cycling. That's cool. And it fits with the team. Um, so, you know, more power to them. I think it looks, I think it looks great. Uh, and it obviously uh, is inspiring the riders because <laughs> they won today in a pretty impressive fashion. They did. And, you know, they um, – when I saw the jersey came out, I admit, I fully admit, I thought I was kind of one of those people that raised my hand and said, well, you know, that when you, you roll out a fancy flashy jersey like that to get – to drum up a lot of conversation when on paper maybe your team isn't the team to be winning stages or winning the overall at this Giro. I mean, I, I looked at their team and I saw a lot of, you know, veteran guys for the breakaways and some wild cards – who might, you know, get into some breakaways or try to hold on to the top 10 as long as they can. And so to see Jonathan Casado win the stage atop Mount Etna, huge result for him. We saw him earlier this year looking really good at the uh, Vuelta Colombia and, um, you know, mixing it up with Egan Bernal and with Carapaz. But, hey, that's nothing like this. This is a grand tour. This is winning, you know, the first big summit finish stage of your first grand tour. So chapeau to him and to EF because, you know, it's not just – about like the flashy kit these guys obviously came here to win so james take us inside your day-to-day on mount etna where were you and what was it like seeing this race go by um you know caicedo with being part of this early breakaway attacking visconti on the finish line and and surviving to win what was it like for you up there uh i just uh i thought it was you know really uh tremendous i love mount etna i've been here several times I uh, did a photo shoot up here a few years ago, so I've actually scoped it out, and I, and I knew, you know, uh, there was some, you know, I just knew there were some great opportunities. I really wasn't concerned so much today myself um, about the great action shot. Uh, what I really wanted to do was get uh, as many shots as possible of the riders and the pack riding through these lava fields because these things are so they're so impressive. Uh, so I made a couple of choices. I I decided not to go to the last kilometer where I knew there'd be lots of people and probably lots of banners and all that. And I knew that there was a spot about 30K from the finish that was really open and you could really get a sense of the lava fields that, and they and, and there was nothing around them. And then I knew that the race went into a forest after that and then it sort of only came out uh, right at the last K. And so I, I made a call to, to, to stand pretty much in the middle of this lava field uh, about 3K from the finish. And I'm glad I did. I mean, it got, it got a little tricky out there. We got, we got some uh, crazy weather at one point. And um, for any of you who are not familiar with lava, um, let me tell you, be careful where you go because it bites back. Like one point I was coming off this one rock and I overstepped my turn and I, and I grabbed the rock and, you know, it, it clawed it into my hand. Well, you can check out those photos on villainews.com. Um, we've been posting James's stuff from the first couple stages of the tour, including some cool bike galleries from the TT uh on Saturday and then um, other gear and tech and scenics as well. So James, let's get to this GC battle because whenever, you know, when they announced the revised Giro course, I looked at this stage three with a big summit to finish to Mount Etna and was like, Oh boy, you know, you're not going to win the Giro today, but you you're definitely going to see some guys losing it, you know? And I'll be fully honest, you know, I thought it was going to be 
Nibali. I thought Nibali was going to lose the Giro today because he's been looking eh, okay at Tirreno and Lombardia. New Worlds, he was okay, but not great. But, you know, I, I, I predicted that today was going to be the day that Nibali got shot out the back, and it wasn't. It was the day that Garrett Thomas and Simon Yates got shot out the back. So today, really bad day for British riders. Garrett Thomas crashes on a water bottle 3K into the race and just doesn't have it. And he gets spit out the back before they even get to the base of Aetna. Then about midway up in the GC group, Yates gets spit out, which is just such a catastrophe for that team trying to do something here. And the GC battle boils down to this blow by blow where Nibbly's throwing punches and Fuglesong's looking really good. You know, you got uh, Domenico Pazavivo up there looking really good. Uh, Steven Kreuzwick not having the punch to go with those guys, but kind of doing the steady Eddie thing, riding just off of the back of them. And youngster Juo Almeida holding on to the pink jersey. He's still in the lead, tied with Caicedo. But, you know, as we look at GC, it's like now there's this there's this pretty interesting GC picture where, you know, Garrett Thomas, who on paper is a favorite to win this race, is now gone. I mean, he's not going to make up whatever, nine, ten minutes. Um, Yates is 346 down, which, you know, it's the Giro, so weirder stuff has happened, but he's probably gone. But you have this grouping of like Rafael Micah is looking good, Kreuzwick, Fuglesong, Brandon McNulty is up there, Domenico Pozzavivo, Nibali, and even Wilco Kelderman who are really well-placed. I mean, when you look at this grouping of GC guys, what, uh, you know, who's your pick? And then what, what are you, how, what sense are you making of what happened today? Well, I, I thought it was astounding, obviously. Um, I was surprised like yourself as well, that uh, it was quite this devastating. Um now this is a this is a side of it that they don't rarely do, and it got pretty steep at right about three two k out um, can get really really steep uh, because there's been you know years here where we've been up Edna and we go ooh Edna and not that much happens. And I honestly thought you know if if the pitches were the same average as they were on some of the other faces of Edna that um, that Ghana could hold it because I was. Uh, I was in Argentina with him at uh, San Juan in January. He was with the Italian national team. And he was, I mean, he wasn't the strongest guy on the mountain day, but they had this big, long 30-kilometer uh, climb called the Alto de Colorado. And it's a real power-based climb, just long, steady grinder. And he was fine on that. And the, uh, some of the some of the sides that we've come up on it before are like that. So I was expecting him to do much better. Uh, he totally, obviously didn't, but um, and didn't seem to be too worried about it. He was laughing when he went by me. You know, it turned out to be a devastating uh, stage for some riders and a very telling stage, uh, I think, on the overall. Um, Thomas, you know, bad luck once again. You can't say anything. Uh, I don't know where his performance was. He was, I was, we were all hoping so much more, and we certainly weren't hoping for this. Um, but Yates, uh, you know, big, 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 uh, big uh, victim there. So uh, it was telling in the, the kinds of riders who were already out of the race in terms of the GC. And then what you saw in the battle up ahead. Brandon, geez, he wrote tremendous. Uh, I was like, wait, I was like editing my pictures going, oh, that was him. Wow, great. Um, and then, you know, then you had a couple of strong men, uh, you know, Nibali and Fuglesong, uh, Chrysler for a while, um, you know, powering it off uh, on the front. Um, I just thought Nibali looked tremendous. Uh, obviously, Fuglesong was tremendous. And uh, I really like what I saw because he's got the team that can, can go the distance. 
the problem with Fuglesong is he looks great, but he just lost his already he's lost his two main climbing allies uh, with uh, Ana Lopez and um, and uh, oh, is it Blackoff? Blackoff? And you know that guy, he's young, and when he goes, he really goes. He, I was I was really excited to see what was going to happen to him in the tour, Miss Giro, and it's already over. And more uh, more so, Fuglesong, who's obviously riding tremendously now, has to if he's going to really go for the overall, he's going to have to play it like Pogachar did in the tour because he's going to. And I mean, he's got the experience. He's thirty five years old. He he can play guys off. I mean, he won the first time he won the Dauphiné. He did that. He attacked on the last day. Played off of the rivalry between Richie Port and uh, and uh, Chris Froome, and and then just laid it down, and, and it was too late, and he went, went away and won. So it's not over for him, but he's going to have he's got a complicated path to, to victory in the next three weeks. Uh, the guys, I you know, Kreuzweg and uh, Nibali, uh, they definitely have the teams that can take them uh, for three weeks. Uh, so I, I was really curious to see what they were uh, doing, and. We're in Sicily. We're at the Giro d'Italia. Who doesn't like Vincenzo Nibali? I love Vincenzo. I'm trying to meet up with his mother. I've, I've met her before once, Giovanna. And uh, I want to see if I can uh, maybe meet her tomorrow or perhaps the next day, go to the shop uh, in Masena where they grew up, where he grew up and started riding bikes and, and stuff uh, because I think she'll have uh, some perspectives that are pretty interesting. And I think, uh, man, he really wants a third Giro victory. He's 35 years old. I think he knows another tour is out of the picture, but if he plays his cards right, uh, and he, he's the guy, he is focused on the Giro from the get-go, from day one. And when, and then he didn't budge, you know, when we got a whole new calendar thing, he almost did an exclusive Giro uh, uh, Italian calendar. His eyes are on this, on this, on this, uh, on this race. And I would, wouldn't be, I couldn't be happier to see more than the third one. Yeah. You got to figure if you're Kreuzwick or Fuglesang. Well, for all the guys in the, who are going for GC, it's like, wow, the clouds just cleared. You know, like two huge impediments between me and the overall just got removed in Garrett Thomas and Simon Yates, probably the best pure climber and then the best all around Grand Tour racer just got removed from the picture. So it's like, wow. So if you're Fugelsang and you're Kreuzwick, it's like I could finally win a Grand Tour. You know, I've been beating my banging my head against the wall forever and, you know, with Vogelsong, it's like always that one bad day. With Kreuzwick, it's 2016. He was going to win. And then, you know, the snowbank from hell comes and gets him. And for both of those guys, they have to be thinking, like, this is this is the best shot to finally do it. If you're nibbly, yeah, boy, one more Giro win. Looks like he has a really strong team. Gianluca Brambilla, Chicone looked really strong today. Like, they were setting the pace for the last 35K. So that's another one where it's like, boy, the the clouds are clearing. And yeah, and if he came in a little undercooked, let's say, you know, he wasn't that strong at Tirreno, so he's kind of building into it. This is a Giro that gets really harder in the second, third week. So that could be a big storyline for him. Um, Another one I keep looking at is like Wilco Kelderman. I don't think he's going to win, but could this be the, the race where he finally gets a podium? Rafael Micah, he could be a potential podium. It's 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 interesting to me because when you take two of the big favorites off the board like that, then all of a sudden, just the opportunities arise for guys who who are better, who are just kind of wild cards. You know, guys who we don't typically say, okay, they're you know they have a really good shot at a podium or a top five. So, I, I you know, as bummed as I am to see Garen Thomas and Simon Yates leave. There's part of me that's like, ooh, that just 
that just threw, you know, threw a monkey wrench into the traditional gears of this Jiro, which is what we see every year. It's the Jiro. Like everyone, every year, some great favorite crashes early, gets sick, you know, goes off course, something bad happens to him. So, you know, it's just kind of in the tradition of this race. They got what they wanted out of the start of the Jiro, you know, beautiful, amazing races. A lot has happened. Uh, every day is, there's been something that really uh, intriguing. Uh, great finishes. Uh, it's you know we're off to a heck of a start, and we're you know we're not we're only three days into this thing. Yeah, and we're going to be continuing to cover this obviously on villainews.com, and we're going to check in with James a week from now to get uh, his takes after the first week of the Giro. Hey James, before I let you go though, I got to ask you about Alaphilippe at Liège Bastogne Liège with the uh, you're you know you're a big you're a big Alaphilippe guy. I know that. You know him. You talk with him. You guys are buddies. You're a fan of him. I'm a fan of his too. But boy, that's a that's a heartbreaker. What's your take on the situation and how old uh, Alaphilippe bounces back from posting up just a hair too soon and getting pipped on the line by Roglic? Well, I you know I'm obviously wasn't at Liège. I was walking to the press room last night and I sort of saw the photo finish thing and understood what and instantly what had happened. Um, Anybody you know who follows bike racing knows bike racing and could tell by that photo vision or that happened. Um, totally, you know, total amateur move. He obviously uh, admitted it was. Um, I don't know. Uh, so many things you could say about that. Or, okay, he ended up getting relegated, so maybe it didn't really matter. Um, but it was a humiliating, uh, uh, you know, the humiliating experience. The line certainly with the rainbow. It would have been great to see him win uh, Liège, which is a race he's always wanted to win with rainbow. Um, but it was also great to see Roglic win uh, after his, you know, devastating uh, last uh, time trial in the Tour, last or you know, in the end. And I guess, you know, what can you say? I mean, um, it just goes to it just goes to show you, you know, you, that you cannot count your victory until you've crossed that line. We saw it in the Tour de France with Roglic. We thought he had it in the pocket in the last time trial. It's three weeks of hard work and years of investment are all up in flames, and we just saw it. On a one-day race uh, at the highest level with Liège and, and Julian, uh, Roglic obviously showed he's a champion and came back and won Liège. Uh, didn't give up. I mean, great sprint for him. Didn't give up. I thought he was beaten. He looked like he was beaten, and boom, comes back and wins it. Uh, and you know, I know Julian. He'll be back. I mean, he's going to be an amazing world champion. He might win Flanders, and if not, you know that those, he's not going to be a you know he's not going to be a world champion that doesn't lift his arms. Uh, up. He's going to win a lot of races uh, in the next year. It's going to be exciting. So he'll, he'll get this back past him. I'm with you. And I think whatever criticism and haters he got for that errant sprint and everything like that in the finale, people will come around to him again. Julian Alaphilippe, you know, momentary criticism that will be followed by adulation. I don't, I don't think any cycling fan, anyone who really loves the sport is going to look at that and be like, well, well I'm out on Julian Alaphilippe. I cannot, I cannot cheer for him anymore. Uh, you know, Big riders make mistakes. We all do it. So, uh, get, you know. What we, love, what, we love, what we love about Julian, what's so exciting about him is he's so spontaneous. Yeah. And he can just he can go at any moment. And he's, you know, and he's always looking around. He's so aware of so many things. But he can sometimes lose focus. Um, this has been something that he knows and he's worked on and stuff. He can get distracted. He can have, you know, whatever. And uh, he commits errors. Um, but he's human. And that's why we like him. He's not, he's not one of these robotic Riders, it just rides tempo and rides everybody off the wheel every day. I and mean, he's an exciting rider to watch, as we saw at the Worlds. I mean, how much, you know, 
how much greater does that get? Uh, everybody knew he was going to attack where he attacked. He did it. Nobody could go with him. And he, you know, just rode that magnificent descent. Well, <laughs> I was pretty scared. The descent, the way he kept looking behind us. But, you know, he, he kept, kept it together on the descent all the way down, just beautifully calculated ride to become world champion. All right, James. Well, hey, I'll let you get back to your evening there in Sicily. But uh, we will catch up with you in a week to get to the second uh, portion of this year's Jury Italia. James Stern, everyone. All right, let's go hear from Brent Bookwalter uh, about his opening to the Giro. You heard me talk about MitoQ at the top of the show. Many of us have heard of supplementing our training with the antioxidant CoQ10 for energy and recovery. MitoQ is a unique form of CoQ10 engineered to get inside the mitochondria in our cells to help create cellular energy and neutralize free radicals. MitoQ helps improve recovery, immunity, digestion, sleep, and stress, all of which will help you train better and be healthier. To learn more about the unique formula, to read some independent clinical trials, and read some athlete testimonials, go to www.mitoq.com forward slash power up cycling again www.mitoq.com forward slash power up cycling okay back to the podcast okay now i am very pleased to be joined by american brent bookwalter brent is racing the giro just finished up stage four and right now he is on a ferry boat somewhere between sicily and and mainland Italy. Uh, Brent, welcome to the podcast. Yes, yeah, set the scene for us right now. Where where are you right now and what's going on? Good question. We spend most of this month not knowing where we are. <laughs> and uh, probably even more so now, um, just finishing stage four, kind of rushing out to these boat docks. Uh, they drive the bus right onto the ferry, a um, bunch of other team vehicles, and um, I believe we're still sort of parked at the dock and haven't left yet. Um, so just waiting to get across to the mainland and then, then we'll have another hour or two of, uh, driving, um, to get to our next hotel, which will put us in pretty late, probably seven thirty or eight o'clock and, um, yeah, get into this late rhythm of, uh, late arrivals, early departures of the Giro, even more so. Uh, so if we hear a foghorn in the background, listeners, uh, Brent is on a ferry boat. He has not moved into uh, a lighthouse. Hey, Brent, I want to talk to you about the, the first couple stages of this Giro d'Italia. You know, so often the storyline around the opening of the Giro is chaos and confusion. There's a lot of crashes, narrow roads, uh, cobblestone streets, stuff like that. Sounds like we've seen that already uh, with a lot of riders hitting the deck, yourself included, and just some sort of just sort of like you know, dangerous situations. I'm curious if you could take us through what it's been like to be the Giro through these first couple stages from that perspective. Yeah, you said it well. Uh, I think any Grand Tour, the first few days are always very nerve wracking and uh, lots of tension in the bunch. Everyone sort of is on, on the ground zero with everything, everything to lose. Um, everyone kind of thinks they can win and hopes are high. Everyone's got great form. Um, you know, a lot of teams have sprinters, GC guys, so lots of battles that are just starting to be played out and, and not a lot of uh, demoralized riders yet. Everyone's full spirits and full of gusto. So, um, yeah, even this year, even from stage one, individual time trial, you know, usually is a, a long sort of tense day of competition. But the, the course that they provided us there was especially 
uh, daunting and technical and nerve-wracking, and I think we saw more crashes than we typically would in an opening stage TT. So um, that got us going. And then onto the onto the open road in stage one, um, actually better road conditions than we expected here in Sicily. They had some nice fresh pavement laid down for a lot of that course, lots of two-lane, nice rolling roads. Um, that didn't stop from me from uh, getting involved in some drama and hitting the ground pretty hard. About 20K to go, got uh, tangled up with some riders that went down right in front of me and um, was sort of doing the nose wheelie, trying to slow down, and then had a guy coming from behind that must have clipped my bars and just sent me um, flying over the bars and landed real hard on my back uh, right where my race radio goes, so drove that brick of a radio right into my back. Um Hit my head a little, broke my helmet, which was the big concern at first. Um, I think that all checked out, and now just dealing with the aftermath of the the back injury and the road rash on my back and sore body, uh, working through that. Uh, from there, we uh, had a couple more, uh, I'd say, technical and physically demanding stages with the finish up on Mount Etna yesterday, and then even today, a pretty standard profile on paper, but... Uh, some real twisty roads, a big climb, and crazy technical descent combined with some wet roads uh, really kept us on our toes and, and kept the action pretty heated. So, yeah, there's been guys falling down all over the place, lots of um, lots of water bottles on the road the past few days, which has been pretty frustrating. I don't know if guys' water bottle cages are just popping them out or if it's a new tactic for guys to just unload them on the ground in front, hoping that uh, it's a bit of a Mario Kart uh, spoiler. <laughs> um, for the guys that have to ride by it, but yeah, lots of unfortunate um, crashes and guys hitting the deck. So I think there's more than a few bodies out there that are already feeling the the toll and the strain. You know, I would imagine then from a physical standpoint, your post stage, uh, you know, you're going to be doing a lot of massage and stuff like that to work out where these injuries are. I'm really curious though, from a mental emotional standpoint, how do you go about? rebounding from a catastrophe that happens that early in a race. I mean, I would think that it would be kind of daunting knowing that you have so many more days and weeks of racing. So I'm really curious how you, you know, as a veteran rider, you've probably been in situations like this before. How do you wrap your mind and your emotions around a setback that comes this early? Yeah, that's really tough. The mental part is is really challenging. And I think in general, whether we're pursuing the performance, you know, at the top level, hunting those 1% or we're sort of at the bottom of the barrel coming back from an injury, I think we generally tend to underestimate the value of the, the mental approach and um, the mental fortitude and, and just the sort of mental system around us. Like you said, we have tons of support physically spent, you know, hours and hours on the treatment table each night, um, getting up early on the treatment table each morning. Uh, but yeah, we don't have, um, mental, you know, resources and support of how to, to pick the pieces back up and, and sort of wrap our heads around how we're going to proceed. So at the end of the day, that's really just comes down to me and my experience. Uh, and then my, you know, sort of personal team that I have at home trying to keep me together and keep me positive and push me on. And, uh, largely it comes down to just going one day and one moment at a time. Got to got to get through the night just so we can start the next day and then uh once that day starts you need to just get through the first 10k to get to the next 10k and just sort of keep passing those gauntlets and it's it is daunting because it's so unknown we don't know how these stages are going to play out when we when we leave the bus in the morning we have a kind of an expectation of what we think is going to happen uh but we never know and um 
yet knowing, you know, how my body's feeling and how it's mechanically working, there's a limit to what it can take right now. So, uh, I'm a little, little nervous and uh, a little more, yeah, daunted about, um, what's going to come at me and, and what I can take. But yeah, as you said, I am no stranger to it. I've had the unfortunate, uh, incident to crash in the first stage of a grand tour before and, and make it to the end and even come good, um, at the end. So really it's about just one day at a time trying to employ all my little tricks mentally and physically to just keep me in the game and stay alive. And, uh, even if it's not pretty, get to that finish line and try to live the fight another day. How do you find yourself riding and racing differently when you're in that mode, like being in the Peloton, you know, stuff that you, what, what are you doing? What aren't you doing that you might do otherwise if you were at a hundred percent? Uh, for sure. The work and the load in terms of the team contribution is way down. I think depending on the injury, uh, you know, the team knows, um, talking to the doctor, talking to the physio, what, what's sort of happening with my body and what they can expect. And, um, I'm at the point right now where I can't really do much other than just try to survive and look out for myself. So yeah, today, for instance, um, you know, right now I just really can't accelerate. Um, can't, can't do any sort of acceleration. Can't really pull up my pedal stroke. Um, whether I'm standing up, sitting down, I'm just bent back is just sort of locked up. So I'm, trying to just sort of get the easy positions in the Peloton when I can, knowing that I have a little cushion to slide back. Um, but as I saw today, we had a lo longer climb today when they started to ramp the pace up and um, there's not enough positions in the bunch really to even start at the front and slide back and still stay in the group. So I was, I was out the back pretty quick with the sprinters and then uh, yeah, just trying to survive pounding those accelerations out of all the corners on the descent is pretty painful and um, sort of demoralizing knowing that's, you know, it's not going to get, not going to get better over the course of the next 40 K to the finish, but, um, just trying to stay confident and, and believe and just hang on to some hope that get to tomorrow and it'll be better. You know, Brent, last week you had this great writer diary on velonews.com and I suggest everyone go read it where you really broke down the differences between a traditional season. You gave an example of your 2019 season and this weird COVID season where the ebb and flow of the, you know, week to week training, training camp, rest, recovery, race has been totally thrown out the window. And I'm really curious how you are seeing that manifest at the Giro, um, whether you feel like, you know, guys are all over the place, whether you think people are all on similar form to where they would be in a normal May, you know, having written that great piece, I'm really curious if you're able to see the expression of that uh, at the Giro. Yeah, thanks, Fred. Thanks for, uh, yeah, letting me put that out there and chime in on those differences with this crazy COVID season. Um, I think we're seeing it a little bit, but not so far. I think the, those differences will play out later in the race. I think so far, some of the differences were, were maybe a bit of, um, some, some surprises for better and for worse in the TT. I think guys have had so far, far fewer opportunities to ride the TT bike and get in a race situation this year that, um, you know, there were some sort of shocking, really strong performers in the time trial. And there were some guys that you would expect them to be up there a little more who maybe were a little down. Um, yeah, other than that, I think, uh, it's sort of business as usual, uh, first week in a grand tour, everyone still showed up fresh. Everyone showed up really fit and motivated. Um, there's this sort of underlying, I think mentality of we're looking around and feeling the changing season and thinking it's October and we have to keep snapping ourselves back into the reality that we're only a few days into a grand tour and this one's going to finish really, really late. So 
Um, I'd say it's, at this point, it's a little bit more of a, a sort of unspoken, underlying, subconscious sort of feeling. Um, and I think those those differences in, in preparation or race buildup will begin to show themselves as the accumulation of difficulty and volume out on the road builds through the next couple weeks. How about the unknown for 2021? I know something else you had written about was that, hey, there's big questions about the teams that are going to be back, about contracts, and a lot of people are really trying to squeeze out a good result. Is that something you feel like you've seen thus far in the Giro? Yeah, definitely. Just going around and talking to riders in the bunch, there's, you know, as we know, there's some teams that are still in real big difficulty, and there's riders that are don't have anything for next year. Um, and it's, like we said, it's, we're getting to into the first week, end of the first week of October now. So that is, that's strange. That's, that's new pressure. I think riders are, are feeling that and, and maybe the directors are feeling that and conveying that to the riders a little more. I think that eventually translates into a little more stressful moments in the race, a little more hype, um, hype riders kind of doing crazy crazy stuff and, and pushing even harder for that corner and um, riding a little more aggressively as a team and, and fighting, 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 especially while the, the energy is still there and the reserves are still somewhat intact in that first week. So um, I think it does build the, build the tension even a little more. There's some guys are in a good place, but there's other guys who are still sort of left with nothing and they're essentially, you know, racing here at the Giro for, for to save their career to save, um, save a contract. So, uh, well, that's a, such a, a tough situation to be in and really, you know, one that no one really deserves to be in, just a, a harsh reality of the sport. Well, I really appreciate you being honest about that, Brent, because, yeah, I mean, it's something that a lot of people I don't think realize of what's going on in the sport right now, the uncertainty and the unknown and how it could be manifesting itself in these races. You know, last question for you, and I'll let you get back to your ferry boat ride. Um, you know, what's your assessment thus far of the COVID-19 safety measures? I know you've been at a number of RCS races like uh, Stradbianca and um, Tirreno Adriatico in the lead up to the Giro, but thus far, what's it been like? And what are the biggest differences you're noticing uh, this year compared to a normal Giro with uh, the COVID-19 safety stuff? Yeah, it's still very present on our mind. I'd say more than anything compared to the races I've done earlier this year, it just seems even more and more relaxed, which I find a little disappointing. And I guess you could say ironic that, you know, this is arguably one of the the more prestigious, better funded, bigger races. Um, Yeah, we're finding ourselves in hotels with a lot, a lot of people, multiple teams. Um, This first hotel we were at was one of these big beach hotels. We just had hundreds and hundreds of, you know, other people not involved with the race, um, you know, hanging out there, passing through, um, visiting this massive buffet line, which fortunately we were sort of kept separate from, but, um, you know, that's still a lot of exposure and it's a lot of people around and they're all wearing varying levels of masks around their chin, mouth, or if we're lucky, nose and mouth. Um, so that's been a little weird. I think the, the fans on the side of the road that we've seen have not been as, as strict with the masks as we saw, you know, I saw personally back at the Dauphiné. Um, so yeah, it's not, um, it's not as maybe strict as I would have expected or hoped. It's a little weird. We're, you know, we finished the race. Our team doctor hands us a mask to go ride the, the one to 10 kilometers back to our bus. And then we're riding by people on the side of the road that are not wearing masks. Um, so that's weird. I'd say <laughs> strange and maybe a little bit of a hole in the system. 
Um, but yeah, in general, relative to another season, it's just one other thing to, to worry about and to think about. And we're all a little bit more on edge. We're slightly adapted to it after doing it for a, you know, a couple of months now. And I think our team protocol is pretty well honed and we're insulating ourselves the best we can and bubbling the best we can and doing all the hand washing and the masks and the hand sanitizer and um, keeping our distance as much as we can, not, not signing autographs. Um, one real nice perk actually I've noticed just from a rider point of view, which maybe is a, to the detriment of fans and the, the sort of accessibility of the sport, but it's really been a nice change of pace to get out of the bus and be able to ride to the sign on freely um, without battling through a bunch of people. Um, you know, usually we leave the bus, we're in a bit of the rush to get to the stage and we're just weaving through people, shoulder checking them, bumping into them, cars in there. Um, so they have done a pretty good job of controlling that. And that's been a, a sort of pleasant surprise that I'd like to see taken forward to races, hopefully after COVID times, when we get there. Great. Well, Brent, hey, we're all pulling for you, man. You know, sending you uh, positive vibes with the recovery from the crash and, um, you know, some exciting stages of the Giro coming up. So, Brent Bookwalter, we'll let you get back to the ferry ride, but thanks so much for coming in on the Vel News Podcast. We'll check in with you a week from now. All right, Fred. Thanks a lot. Enjoyed uh, being here. Take care.